0: Good evening. It's 8 o'clock in Yerushalayim. This is webyeshuvah.org, and it's time to begin our regular shiur. We're talking about kisui rosh, covering the head, or kisui se'ar, covering the hair, and we're going to see that those two things are not exactly the same, but we'll, we'll, we'll come to the difference between covering hair. And uh, covering the head in the moment, uh, to, uh, and this is our, our final Shi'ur dealing with the issue as far as women are concerned, covering women's heads or women's hair. Next time we're going to turn to, to the men's issue, uh, covering men's heads, but uh, what we've seen so far are two basic approaches. Number one, a minority approach, In this case, a very small minority, namely that of uh, Rav Massas we saw uh, who held that this whole business, beginning to end, the whole business of women covering their heads is a matter of minhag, a matter of local practice, which varies from time to time and place to place, and uh, 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 since the underlying concept of modesty The underlying concept of of how one should behave in a public way has to do with behaving in a way which does not focus everyone's attention upon you, behaving in a way that you more or less blend in with the society in which you find yourself, so uh, the, the, the woman who is in a place and time in a society where, where the minhag, the practice, the custom is for all of the women to cover their heads, so the, the woman who doesn't is going to become the focus of attention. Everyone's going to stare at her, and that is immodest, the, the, the attraction of everyone's attention. Uh, of course, uh, not only women are uh, required to behave modestly in public settings. After all, uh, the Navi says that Hatzneah Leches, being modest, going modestly with God, is a fundamental principle of Torah. Uh, Modesty is terribly important. The details of Halacha are terribly important. The truth is, I don't know which which is more important. Uh, uh details of halachic observance or, or modesty. I don't know which is more important, but I, I, I do know they're both terribly important. In any event, that was the position of Rav Masas. Since it's a matter of minhag, if you are in a place, a woman who is in a place in time, where the minhag is to cover the head, head that that's what you gotta do. Now, uh, customs change from time to time, from place to place, even from neighborhood to neighborhood. Uh, uh, Minhagam change, therefore. Behavior, which focuses attention upon yourself, varies from place to place and time to time and even from neighborhood to neighborhood. Uh, Wherever you are, you should not act or behave in a way that everyone is going to stare at you. Uh, It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter, this is an important principle for everyone. And this has to do not only with your dress, but with with your behavior in general. Okay, that's the, the, the minority opinion, in this case a very small minority, minority of one rabbi. Sass. Then we saw uh, the Oracha Sholchaton uh, representing, I only quoted one rabbi, the list could go on and on and on and on. The, the vast majority of rabbis who, who hold that there's an absolute Torah obligation for married women to have some head covering. Even just a, a little bit, and a rabbinic obligation for married women to cover all of their heads, all of their hair. That's the opinion expressed by the the, the Orach or and uh, this is uh, what the vast majority of Poskim hold. He also taught us that the be'avonotenu harabim amongst. Our many sins. He wrote this back in the in the in the, in the very beginning, the, the turn of the 20th century, in Lithuania. Among our many sins, uh, our married women are, in point of fact, walking around in public with their heads uncovered. That's quite common. At least it was quite common in the in Torah observant circles in Lithuania, back in the early part of the 20th century, and since everyone is so accustomed to it, and since everyone is so used to seeing married women with their heads uncovered, since everyone is accustomed to it, so that the, the prohibition in the Gemara of reading Shema Yisrael, the prohibition in the arch of engaging in Inyane Kadusha, in dealing with Kedusha activities in the presence of a woman, a married woman whose hair is exposed, that prohibition evaporates in those times and places where harabim, amongst our many sins, more or less all the women are walking around, all the married women are walking around in public with their heads uncovered. Uh, he's very unhappy about it, uh, but that's the way it is, and we have to learn to live with it. Okay, now we've seen two basic approaches, majority approach and minority approach. In this case, a uh, very small minority and a very large minority. This leaves us with the issue which we did not discuss last week uh, How are we going to decide which opinion to follow? Well, well, of course, everyone, is, uh, everyone has heard, I'm sure, countless times that one should follow the majority. I mean, I've heard that countless times. I suppose you have as well. Uh, for following the majority, following the majority is a good idea you know, that, 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 that's, that, that's, that sounds like a pretty nice idea, following the majority, but it's not exactly obligatory to follow the majority. Now, the idea is as follows. When the Torah commands us to follow the majority, which the Torah does in parashat mishpatim, acharei rabbim l'hatot, there's a pasuk in the Torah which commands us to follow the majority. When the Torah commands us to follow the majority of opinions, the, the the torah is talking about the sanhedrin the the torah is talking about a court of law you have a certain number of judges on the on the judicial panel the number of judges you need depends upon the nature of the case which is being heard if it's if it's a simple financial case three judges are enough if it's a capital case, you need many more judges. So whatever the number of judges is on, on the panel, the Torah says, yeah, the court has to decide its verdict in accord with the majority vote of the uh, of the judges. Now, in a case like that, the judges are sitting together on the on the judicial panel, they're, they're, they're judges sitting next to each other hearing the same evidence, hearing the same witnesses. After the presentation of the case is finished, the judges discuss among themselves uh, the case. One tries to convince the other guilty, the other tries to convince the other is innocent. Well, whatever the case is, they argue about the case amongst themselves and when they've exhausted all of their arguments among themselves, the judges realize that, that they've reached a position where no judge can convince another judge to change his mind, then they vote and, and, and the majority rules and uh, the, uh, the defendant will be guilty, innocent, have to pay, be exempt from paying, whatever, whatever the case is before the court, well, the case will be decided by a vote of the majority of judges. But that's a case where the judges were sitting together face to face, argued with each other, could not come to a unanimous opinion, and they voted on the issue. Nowadays, well since in any situation aside from a judicial panel where you have one rabbi in one city and a few other rabbis in a few other cities and a few rabbis in this century and a few other rabbis in that century, and you try to count up the majority Well, all of a sudden, the underlying concept of majority rule fails because not all the rabbis actually spoke with each other. The rabbis in this city in one century obviously couldn't speak with the rabbis in that city in that century. And and, and had they been able to speak with each other, some might have convinced the others to change their minds. And there's no way to know whether or not some of the rabbis would have been able to change the other guy's minds, because they couldn't talk with each other. They were in different cities. They were in different uh, generations. And therefore the underlying concept of majority rule fails. The Torah commands us, the halacha demands that you follow majority in a situation where the, uh, where the the, 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 the rabbis are speaking with each other and, uh, Since they are speaking with each other, they argue with each other. They they fail to convince each other to change their minds. They're left without a unanimous opinion. Follow the majority. The Torah halacha demands that you follow majority in that case. But poskim rabbis disagreeing with each other in different places in different times. There's no obligation. No halachic requirement to follow the majority. Nonetheless, it, it, it's a good idea. You know, it makes sense, as Rav Cook points out in the introduction to his uh, uh, monumental uh, work on, on the Shemitah year. Uh, as Rav Cook points out, in general, you know, like most of the in general most of the time. Uh, uh, wisdom is to be found in the majority view. Uh, We're talking about clever people. We're talking about very wise, very educated people. And usually, not not always, or not necessarily so, but in general, wisdom is to be found in the majority. And therefore, it's in general good advice to follow the majority opinion. In the case before us, we have a clear majority and a very small minority, so of course it's good advice in general to follow the majority, but that's not exactly the same as saying that halacha must be in accord with the majority and the minority must be thrown out and must be rejected. Not quite the same. Uh, It's good advice to follow the majority, but that's not exactly required by the halacha. Therefore, in general uh, if someone asks uh, rabbi uh, does the married woman have to cover her hair hair in public cover her head in public in general uh, the answer should be uh, yeah yes yes in, in general that's uh, uh, that's what the posts can say uh, what about the woman who doesn't ask uh, what about the woman who a married woman who goes in public with head uncovered and uh, didn't ask the rabbi, had she asked the rabbi the rabbi would have probably given her the most common advice, follow the majority and cover your head but she didn't ask, she just appears in public with head uncovered, what about her? Is that a case where where if, if, if we are able, if we're capable of being moha, if we're capable of objecting rebuking her. And if we know that she will change her ways, if we rebuke her, we know that she will obey us. We know that she will accept our opinion if we tell her to change. Do we have to interfere? Do we have to tell her to change? Well, 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 no, well, no, we, we we don't have to be muharr. We don't have to object to what she's doing. We could smile. There is such an opinion, and uh, she has, for whatever reasons, chosen to follow that opinion. And there is such an opinion. And if her practice would be in violation of all opinions, if she would have no basis at all to re- to rely upon in what she's doing, and we're confident that she would change her ways, correct her ways, if we would approach her and tell her to change, then of course, of course, of course, you have to tell her to change. But uh, in a case where there's a majority and a minority, in general, it's good advice to follow the majority, but uh, of course, of course we can smile upon those who are following the minority. Now this is true not only in the case before us, head covering, this is true, Bechol HaTorah Kula, this is true throughout the length and breadth of Torah, where there is a majority view and a minority view, whatever the halacha is, and you open up the Shulchan Aruch to any page you wish, and you will find disagreements among the rabbis, as there's not a single page in the whole of the Shulchan Aruch, which is free, Of controversy and uh, well uh, someone calls up the rabbi and says what should I do or what should I not do Uh, good advice in general is to follow the majority and that's in general what the rabbi will tell the person to do what about the person who doesn't ask the rabbi and Bechol HaTorah Kula throughout the length and breadth of Torah someone is following the minority view the rabbi knows that if I uh, take that person aside and tell him you know you're following a minority view well why don't you switch to switch horses to the majority he he, he would he would follow my advice but there's no need to rebuke him there's no need to be moha. there's no need to object uh, let, let him follow the, the view that he wishes Indeed many rabbis have written against uncovering the hair, and when we saw one of them uh, on the screen at this very moment, uh, the Orach HaSholchan, indeed the vast majority of rabbis have opposed uncovering their hair. But that's not, that's, uh, not the same as telling an individual woman uh, to change her ways. Okay, uh, let's go on with new material today. Let's see if I can get it onto the screen here here we go uh, i want to look at a series of Chuvot uh, written by Ramosha feinstein the greatest of the uh, the greatest of the rabbis in north america in the 20th century and the reason i want to focus on his opinions regarding hair covering is because uh, he was uh, uh, he was purely a halachic man uh, he, he really uh, uh, he really uh, d- didn't care so much about minhagim. Uh, of course, he thought that people should conform to local minhagim, but in his juvas, in his published writings, he always emphasized focusing entirely upon, uh, upon pure halacha. Well, let's see what he has to say about these issues. Here, uh, This is the first of a series of juvas we're going to look at this evening. Uh, the shuva the deals with gilui miqtzat se'erot uveveitah, the shuva the, 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 the deals with two issues. Number one, uh, to all, does all of the hair have to be covered? 100%? Every strand tucked in under the kerchief or under the wig or whatever? Does, it, does the hair have to be 100% covered? Or is it okay? for uh, for the married woman to expose, to uncover some of her hair. That's issue number one. Issue number two is the beta. What about in her home? Is there any obligation at all for her to cover her hair at home? Up until this point, we've been speaking about public situations. What about in private? Does all of this apply in private as well? Well, these are the issues he's going to deal with. Let's see his approach. Uh, Ladina, as far as the halacha is concerned, and this is so typical of his approach to so many issues, Ladina, as far as the halacha, as far as halacha is concerned, as far as halacha is concerned, halacha which flows in out of the principal sources which we know as far as the conclusions of the Mishnah and Gemara and the Rambam and the Shulchan Aruch and the great rabbis of Halacha are concerned as far as the Halacha is concerned their answer is as follows even though it would be proper even though it is correct even though it would be correct for women to be strict and cover all of their hair, every last strand, even though that position is uh, is a correct humbra, a correct strict uh, practice above and beyond what halacha requires, as the Hatam Sofer wrote, Chetam Sofer is one of the great rabbis of the 18th century in, uh, in Pressburg. Uh, today the city is called Bratislava in, uh, in Slovakia. Chetam uh, Sofer back in those days wrote, women, married women have to cover every single strand of hair. Since this opinion came out of the mouth. Dagon Gadol Komoto, just since his opinion came out of the mouth of such a great rabbi as the Chatam Sofer, he said women have to cover every last hair. So uh, women who follow that uh, are okay. That's, that's, that's correct and proper to follow that opinion, that strict opinion. Uh, let's understand what's going on here. It's a, it's a terribly important point. Uh, b- b- before I explain... The Egress Moshe. Let me tell you the history of what's going on here. The Khatam Sofer. His name was uh, Rav Moshe Sofer. was his name? He you lived know, in the Yeshiva World. You tell people about the opinion of Rav Moshe Sofer. They don't know who you're talking about exactly. Uh, everyone calls him the Khatam Sofer. The name of his book. That's it. That's a and that name is quite famous. But when he became the Rav of Pressburg, uh, the Rav of Bratislava. Back in those days, uh, he had previously been the Rav of small villages. And then he got the job of being the Rav of the big city in Pressburg. And when he arrived in town to take over the position of chief rabbi of the town, there was a mishlachat, a delegation of local uh, uh, Jew, Jews, members of the community a delegation met with him the delegation met with him and uh, said to him rabbi previously you were the rabbi of small villages now you are the rabbi of the big town you have to know rabbi the delegation of uh, community members said to him you have to know that in, in our town we are businessmen. We're not farmers like you You dealt with in the villages where you were a rabbi before. We are businessmen. We're international businessmen. And don't get, don't get the idea into your head, rabbi. Don't think that you are going to prohibit our wives from wearing wigs. Don't get the idea that you're going to demand that our women wear kerchiefs. Don't, don't even think about that, Rabbi. That was the first ultimatum he received upon arriving in the, in the, in the town. Well, the next morning, after shaharit, after the prayers, uh, the first thing he did was to proclaim a prohibition in his town that women, married women should not wear wigs, only kerchiefs, and cover every last hair. Now, this position of his uh, became a... Uh, a uh, battle cry among many rabbis and many rabbis followed him in this opinion. That's what he said. Every last strand of hair has to be covered and then uh, heaven forbid not with a wig only with a kerchief. Now, now, now I- Igus Moshe says uh, he was a great rabbi and that was his opinion and he's entitled to his opinion. And therefore a woman who chooses to follow that practice is not to be laughed at, is not to be mocked. There is such an opinion in halacha that every last hair has to be covered. There is such an opinion and therefore a woman who wishes to follow that opinion we can smile upon that practice. Uh, Of course Uh, This is not strictly in accord with Halacha, and therefore a woman who asks, Rabbi, does every last hair have to be covered? Well, well, the answer is no. The vast majority of poskim are lenient on this issue, and therefore good advice is to follow the majority view earlier today, the majority view was on the strict side. Now, the majority view is all of a sudden, this issue, the majority view is on the lenient side, and therefore, a woman who asks, of course, should be advised to follow the majority view, which is lenient, you don't have to cover every hand. On the other hand, A woman who wishes to follow the minority view, the opinion of of the Khatam Sofer, is entitled to do so. And we will smile upon that practice, and uh, there's no reason to object. Yeah, we spoke about braids last week a little bit. Okay, now now, uh, what do we understand so far? There is an opinion that every last hair has to be covered, and uh, that's okay. We can smile on that practice, but it's not really required as far as halacha is concerned. Well Pasha, it's perfectly clear. harotzot uh, Hakel, Those women who wish to be lenient, legalot, and uncover ad tefach, up to a tefach. Women who wish to be lenient and uncover up to a tefach of their hair, that's okay, that's okay. Up to a tefach can be uncovered. Well, what's a tefach? Tefach is the old word for fist. Uh, From here to here is a tefach. That's one tefach, from here to here. Now, of course, just like in English, when we give distances as being a certain number of feet, from here to there. We're not talking about your foot, we're not talking about my foot, we're talking about a standard measure of what a foot is in English. Similarly, in rabbinic in rabbinic Hebrew, uh, 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 it's not my fist, it's not your fist, it's a standard measurement um, uh, on, uh, on chat. It's suggested that 10 centimeters, and know rabbis who hold that 10 centimeters is the correct measurement of uh, of of a tefach, but the majority view is eight eight centimeters, other opinions exist as well. Uh, what he's talking about is a square tefach, there's one tefach by one tefach, Uh, uh, eight centimeters is a shade over three inches, so we're talking about 64 square centimeters, or if you're using inches it comes out to around nine and a half square inches of exposed hair is okay, according to what he has just taught us. Where did he get this measurement from? Well, it says in the Gemara, in a number of places, that uh, uh, a woman who is megale tefach, a woman who exposes up to a uh, tefach, this amount of, of flesh, is not considered to be immodest. You know, back in those days, they wear, used to wear uh, gowns and robes at, at different places, different times. Uh, people would dress differently and, uh, and exposing some of the arms, some of the legs, exposing certain parts of the body up to a tephah, the Gemara says, is okay. Uh, and he applies that in this situation as well. Therefore, women who are covering every every bit of hair, that's fine. No need to object. We can smile on that practice. A woman who asks what is required, uh, you, you can expose up to a square tefah. And a woman who does that is surely not to be considered uh, heaven forbid a woman who, who follows the halacha and exposes, uncovers up to a tefach of her hair, uh, heaven forbid that such, such a woman should be considered in violation of anything in the Gemara, and uh, uh, that, that woman is entirely kosher. That woman is entirely beseder. <speaking in Hebrew> even a great rabbinic scholar, even someone who is very fearing of heaven, even someone who is very frum, should not refrain from marrying a woman. Who wants to uncover up to a tefach of her hair? Uncovering up to a tefach of the hair is perfectly acceptable. We can smile upon that. And, and if that's uh, what the uh, what the young woman says to the young man before they get married, you know She says to him when we get married I'm going to expose uncovered part of my hair up to a tefach Even if he's a great rabbinic scholar, even if he's very frum, that's not a reason to refrain from marrying her. That's entirely kosher uh, They should get married uh in he the mitzvah to midot. assuming there's nothing else uh, which is out of place in this Shadikh assuming that she's uh, that she fears heaven and is careful about the p- performance of mitzvahs this is not considered a violation, and this is not a reason to refrain from getting married i 'm going to come to the get in a moment the uh, uh, uh well how much is a square tafach Actually, in practice, how can you measure it? You have to get out your ruler and start measuring. And well, in practice, how should you? How can you figure out how much hair can be exposed? Uh, since in, a, in an average head, every everyone's different. In an average head, I don't have much hair at all to demonstrate on, but in an average head. Uh, the, the whole uh, the head from ear to ear runs around two tefachim with a typical head, and uh, and therefore uh, a two a two finger band you know, across the top from ear to ear that works out to around a square a square uh, tefach, and that would be uh, the correct amount. That would be the, an acceptable amount to uh, to leave uncovered. Well, that's just a general guideline for how to measure. Well, yoter um, uh, more than a square tafach, is prohibited. Now, the the the, the 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 idea of the egress Moshe is uh, very clear. Now, well, let me point out one one point in passing here, which which he doesn't actually emphasize. Doesn't actually say. But uh, implies, and we're going to see this implication developed a little bit more in the next Juva that he wrote. What the Hatam Sofer said was that women have to cover all of their hair, every last hair. And that's okay. That's an opinion, which we can smile upon. It's not our opinion. It's not the majority opinion. But there is an opinion that the hair has to be covered. It's not exactly the same as saying that the head has to be covered. He he said we can smile on the opinion that requires covering hair. We don't have to object to that opinion. We don't have to re- reject it. Uh, it's it's okay. The the great rabbi the Khatam Sofer said that, and we can uh, we can follow women who wish to follow him are our, our, our kosher, our beseder, just like. He uh, said, uh, "No wigs, only kerchiefs." And uh, well, well, uh, women who wish to do that are okay. We, we no reason to mock them. There's no reason to object uh, to women who wish to use kerchiefs uh, and and refrain and refrain from wigs. But uh, a woman who asks, of course, the majority view, the vast majority view, is to approve of uh, of wigs, uh, to permit wigs, and therefore a woman who asks, Rabbi, is it okay to cover my head with a wig? Of course, of course, of course it's okay. And a woman who doesn't ask and chooses to follow the, 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 the strict opinion here, of well, course no reason to get upset, there's no reason to object. Uh, uh, it's also an acceptable, also an acceptable opinion. Okay, well, let's go on to this next. Next, Trula, because these ideas are going to going to be developed a little bit more here. Uh, in the next trailer, um, he he's talking about woman, married woman, who uncovers her hair, and uh, as you, uh, you you raised the issue just a moment ago on chat, and I promise we're going to get to it here on this screen. Here goes back. In the beginning of this series, when we were learning the passages in the Gemara, having to do with women covering their hair, back then we learned that a woman who is guilty of severe violation of public norms of, of modesty can be divorced against her will. husband can dump her against her will and doesn't even have to pay alimony. We learned those sources back in the, uh, when we were looking at the Gemara in the beginning of this series. Now the question arises, since the Gemara, exp- the Mishnah, and of course the Gemara explicitly mention uncovering the hair as behavior, which is so bad, such so bad public behavior in a married woman, that that justifies uh, a divorce, uh, allows him Uh, to divorce her against her will and without even paying alimony, since the Gemara explicitly mentions uncovering the hair as being such a severe violation of public decency, what about nowadays? What about nowadays? Uh, uh, Every Torah-observant man whose wife goes around with hair uncovered, he has to divorce her. I mean, how is this supposed to play out in modern times when, when, when uncovered hair in married women is so common nowadays. How, how, how is this supposed to work in modern contemporary Torah observant society? Let's see how he approaches the issue. Now there, there's a, uh, one of my favorite, true vote of Rav Ovadi Yosef. He wrote this before he became the chief rabbi of Israel, uh, but uh, 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 when, when he was still a a, dying, a a judge in a rabbinic court He uh, had a case before him in which a man wanted to divorce his wife, and she didn't want the divorce, contested divorce. And normally in a contested divorce, if he can prove that he has valid grounds for divorce, then, then he can divorce her against her will. Similarly, the other way around. If she wants the divorce and he doesn't, well, if she can convince the court that she has valid grounds for for uh, for a divorce, then the court will force him to, in, into the divorce. And then we discussed uh, uh, two two weeks ago what constitutes valid grounds. And that's a discussion which by itself deserves a whole series of shiurim. In any event, this is an example in the Gemara of valid grounds for divorce. Uh, the case came before Rav Ovadi Yosef. He said, my wife doesn't cover her hair in public. I wish to divorce her and not pay alimony. That's exactly what the Gemara says is correct. That's exactly what the Rambam says is correct. That's exactly what the Shulchan Aruch says is correct. And I wish wish, wish the court to please follow the halacha. Uh, uh, She said, it's true that I do not cover my head in public, but that's because we are not Torah observant. And she showed the, the the court photographs of them at the beach to demonstrate that they are in general not Torah observant at all. See, he wanted to use the halacha, which he himself uh, does not follow. He himself is not Torah observant, but he wished to use that, he he wished to use that halacha, uh, uh, in order to to be able to, to divorce. Yes, ma'am. I mean, oh, hi. Oh. Okay. Something's going on here. Alright. Turn off and nothing happens. It looks good. Why have I lost control? Is is Ezra present? I I, I click mute. The um now we're okay. The um uh, uh so he decided Never said Sarah, it, now it's quiet, now, so he decided, Ravavadya uh, wrote a which he said, well, Well, uh, since they were not Torah observant at the time they got married, he accepted by, by marrying her, he accepted the fact that she is not Torah observant, he accepted the fact that she does not cover her head, therefore, since he accepted that at the time they got married, he cannot subsequently use that as an excuse to divorce her. That's a tshuva of Ravavad Yosef, who later became the Chief Sefadi Rabbi of Israel. Let's see how Rav Feinstein approaches the issue. Bidvar Isha, regarding a woman, she does not wish to cover her married woman, does not want to cover her hair, that's a fact in this case. Among our many sins nowadays, the majority of married women are not covering their head. Even among those who are Torah observant, the majority are are, are walking around with. Married women are walking around with hair exposed. There's also limbazer. They are disregarding the halacha. The majority are disregarding the halacha. Is he obligated to divorce her? Which, according to the sources we saw two weeks ago, he is obligated to divorce her since her behavior in public is so reprehensible answer since nowadays she cannot be considered immodest because of exposing the hair because many women disregard the halacha since it's a commonplace that this particular halacha is ignored in public then there's nothing particularly, nothing especially unusual about this woman. And therefore, she cannot cannot be deprived of her alimony. If he wishes to divorce her, he's going to have to pay alimony for that. And if the man knew when they got married, if he knew when they got married, that uh, she did not want to cover her hair. If she knew that, if he already knew that, then he married her anyway, even though he knew that she wasn't going to cover her hair. And he wrote a uh, divorce, uh, he wrote a marriage document, the ketubah, in the marriage document, he already agreed to pay alimony in the event of a divorce. Uh, even though, uh, uh, even if he wrote, the, even if they got married in a place and time where the majority of women do cover their hair, uh, according to the halacha, He would still have to pay alimony because he knew and accepted the fact that she was not following the halacha in this particular point. Since he knew and accepted that fact by marrying her, he cannot subsequently use that as an excuse to be exempted from paying alimony. Uh, He goes on and says... All of the cases in the Gemara which entitle him to dump her or her to force him into a divorce without, without a mutual agreement. All those cases are talking about cases that when they got married, they didn't know about the bad behavior on the other side. When she married him, she didn't know. That he was a pimp. When she married him, she didn't know that he was a gangster. Uh, discovering that fact, she wants nothing to do with him anymore, so she can force a divorce upon him. Had she known at the time of the marriage that he was a pimp, a drug dealer or whatever, she cannot subsequently use that fact as an excuse to divorce him. Uh, it doesn't matter which direction. Uh, we're talking about it. uh well the Vasov she didn't want to uh, follow the Halacha in a case where they where she was conforming to the Halacha at the time of the marriage, then she loses her rights or he would lose his rights. oh the 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 the, the the situations fall into the following categories. Number one, if at the time of the marriage the, the such and such behavior was uh, uh, accepted uh, on the part of the other party, then then you've accepted it and you can't use it as grounds for subsequent divorce. If on the other hand, you didn't know about the bad behavior on the other side and you discovered that only after marriage now you have valid grounds for divorce. Similarly, if the other side in the marriage was kosher and behaving correctly, and o- o- only became a gangster, only became a drug dealer after marriage, well, that also constitutes valid grounds for divorce. Because of course that was not accepted at the time of the marriage. At the time of the marriage, uh, the husband, the wife, the other partner was uh, was pasehder was was not engaging in reprehensible behavior. The only cases where you can force a divorce upon the recalcitrant member and she will lose her her alimony is if she was beseda at the time of marriage or he didn't know at the time of marriage that she was engaged in that kind of public behavior. Nowadays, nowadays, if she did not, well, bottom line, the text is Rav sort of Moshe Feinstein. But bottom line, the great Sephardic Rabbi and the great Ashkenaz Rabbi agree about about, about the basic principles. The uh, if she did not say before getting married that she is going to cover her head. There's no reason why he should have assumed that she's going to cover her head if she didn't say she's going to do that. After all, so many women don't, and therefore if she did not say she's going to cover her head, there's no reason for him to presume that she's going to do that. That's the same as saying he accepted her uncovered head, and therefore... He can no longer use that as a reason to divorce her. Bottom line, even though we learned in the Gemara, even though we learned in the Rambam, even though we learned in the Shulchan Aruch, and the list of positive is very long, even though we learned uh, that that indeed uncovering the head is so reprehensible for a married woman that it justifies a uh, Uh, a contested divorce as grounds for a valid divorce and not only grounds for divorce but losing her alimony even though that's what we learn those halachas do not apply in a situation where he accepted that behavior at the time of marriage and in a society where it's so common he had no reason to assume that she would cover her head after marriage unless she explicitly said so That's the position of Rav Moshe Feinstein, and uh, the underlying concept uh, squares clearly with uh, that of Rav Avadi Yosef, and therefore this is not uniquely uh, an Ashkenaz opinion. This is an opinion embraced equally uh, uh, by both Ashkenaz and Sephardic rabbis. Let's go one step further. The last tshuva of Rav Moshe Feinstein that I want to deal with today has to do with Yisua Prias Rosh, has to do with the uh, uh, prohibition of uncovering the head for an alamana, a widow. Now, up to this point, we've been speaking about married women. Now the, now the focus turns to a previously married woman, a divorced woman. Well, equally, uh, no, not a divorced woman, a, um, a widow. Well, Whether she's divorced or widow is the same, exactly the same idea. She, at the moment, she's not married, but she was married. He's talking about an almana, a divorcee, but the same concept applies equally to a. Uh, 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 she's, he's talking about a widow. The same idea applies equally to a divorcee, a grusha. And this particular question is: but hef said Godel, The reason she wants to uncover her head is because there's some. Uh, uh, financial incentive to do so, correct, it's a valid expectations at the time of entering the contract which are important. Good, let's see how he approaches the issue. I was asked, correct, uh, I was asked, Isha. I was asked about a woman, Shanit Almana, who was widowed, with Trichale fornez banea, and now she must find a livelihood to support her children. Uh, her husband was the breadwinner in the family. This is back in the good old days when women was, were, were were housekeepers and husbands went out to work. Uh, he died, uh, leaving the family with no source of income. So she had to go out and find a job and support and support her, herself and her children. And she does not find work She doesn't find work to get a salary. She can't find anyone to employ her for a job She She can't find anyone who will pay her a, a, a sufficient salary to support herself and her children she can't, she, she can't find a job offer with a sufficient salary Ella, unless unless she uncovers her hair. She has to uncover her hair at the office, at the place of work, in order to get a job, in order to get a job in that office, they won't hire her if she's wearing a kerchief, if she's wearing a wig, they won't hire her. You know, she got, she has a this an opening for a receptionist in the business, whatever it is. But uh, they're only going to hire a woman who uh, who makes a good presentation to the public. She's the receptionist for the public, and no, they won't. They won't. No wig is unacceptable. Kerchief is unacceptable. The only way she can get the job is if she uncovers her hair in is she permitted to take the job and uncover her hair that's the question hey shafdi i responded uh, here here's the answer Yesh one should permit her kazer with in a situation like this a situation of such great need like this one should permit her to uncover the hair. The whole poshut, because it's perfectly clear even though it's perfectly clear that in general widows and divorcees should continue to cover their hair since they were previously married but, but, but the, the, this whole business of previously married women, divorcees, and, 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 uh, and uh, widows covering the hair, this is only a matter of dakihudit. You remember when we learned the Gemara, we learned that there's Dat Torah, the, the Halacha of the Torah, and there's Dach Yehudit, which is of rabbinic origin. It's only a rabbinic obligation for previously married women to continue covering their hair after the marriage. Because midrasha, as far as the Torah is concerned, Rak Eshesish, the Torah only spoke about married women covering their hair. The idea that previously married women have to cover their hair, that's not in the Torah anywhere. It's always no Torah obligation here. So no. Uh, the, the Torah talks about a married woman, Sota. You remember Sota was the source of covering uh, the obligation to cover. That's a married woman. The Torah never spoke about unmarried women covering their hair, and a divorcee or a widow is an unmarried woman, and therefore the only obligation for a, a divorcee or a uh, or a widow is of rabbinic origin and not of Torah origin therefore if you if you think carefully about it, he points out that the, the, there is no actual obligation to cover the hair. there is no obligation to cover the hair all the sources really talk about is an obligation to cover the head, and that's not exactly the same thing. Uh, What's the difference? On the one hand, there's a prohibition of exposing the hair. Sorry, never spoke about a prohibition of exposing the hair. On the other hand, there's an obligation to cover the head. We've got plenty of sources for that. Covering the head is a is an obligation which has clear sources. Uncovering the hair on the other end a prohibition to, to to display the hair we never actually saw. You might think these two things are back exactly the same. You might think, what difference does it make whether we talk about a prohibition to 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 display the hair or an obligation to cover the head? What you might you might what, what difference does it make? You might wonder, but it turns out there's a big difference between them. And here comes the big difference, the the big difference between the correct understanding based on the sources. That we have here an obligation to cover the head, as opposed to the incorrect opinion, the incorrect position that there's a prohibition to uh, display the hair. The big difference between them, Ladina, as far as Halacha is concerned, is who deim who is If there would be a prohibition here, which there isn't, there simply isn't a prohibition, but if there would be a prohibition to display the hair, perhaps said gun that then a prohibition applies even if you're going to end up losing a lot of money if you're if you're a, a, a sha a ritual slaughterer and you make a mistake in slaughtering the animal you didn't do it correctly and the animal's strafe even though you're going to lose a lot of money you, you, it's prohibited to eat that meat and and the fact that a lot of money is involved doesn't doesn't help resolve the situation what's prohibited is prohibited even if it's going to end up losing a lot of money, Uh, even if you end up losing all of your money, you still cannot violate a prohibition. If the Torah prohibits doing something, like eating tray food or whatever it is, violating Shabbos, so you're not allowed to do it, even if it's going to end up being very expensive for you, even if it's going to ruin your finances entirely. Well, On the other hand, if we're not talking about something which is prohibited, if instead we're talking about something which is obligatory, you have to cover your hair. An obligation, as opposed to a prohibition, since this is an obligation to cover and not a prohibition. Now, financial loss plays an important role. To Homish to the Homish because the poskim are all agreed that one need not spend more than twenty percent Homish. Homish is one fifth, twenty percent. What all the poskim agree there is no obligation to spend more than twenty percent of your wealth in order to fulfill an obligation of the Torah. If you cannot afford to fulfill an obligation of the Torah, uh, eating matzah is too expensive and you can't afford to buy it. It doesn't matter what the obligation is. If, if, if the obligation is so expensive that it will cost you more than 20% of your assets, you know, for poor people that might be a small amount, for rich people that might be a big amount. But, but if, if fulfillment of the Torah obligation is going to cost you more than 20% of your assets, you are exempt. Well, since covering the hair is an obligation and not a prohibition to, to display the hair, uh, the 20% rule falls in place. And since the 20% rule clicks into place, and this particular woman needs the job in order to be able to Provide livelihood for herself and her family. Lachain, therefore, Koshu have said Kachomish anything which would be equivalent to a loss of twenty percent of your assets, or anything more than twenty percent. Like in the case before us, where she can't find a job to sustain herself and her family. Uh, she cannot provide livelihood for her children. Who on us? She There's no obligation uh, to fulfill uh, uh, an oblo- There's no obligation to fulfill a mitzvah of the Torah if it's going to cost you more than twenty percent of your assets. And that applies in this case as well. If we were talking, if we were talking about a prohibition. But we're not, then you would uh, be prohibited from violating the prohibition no matter how much it costs. Uh, But since we're not talking about a prohibition of exposing the hair, displaying the hair, since we're talking about an obligation to cover the head, the 20% rule clicks into place. Now, this 20% rule has fairly broad application. I'll give you one more example of how Ramosha Feinstein applies it and you'll understand how broad the application is. In a different context, he was once asked about a man who was uh, mentally unbalanced and hospitalized in a psychiatric hospital and cured. He was schizophrenic, and Baruch Hashem, his condition was resolved, and now he is uh, stable. But the, the doctors in the hospital said, we want this patient, he's, the patient is stable, needs no more treatment, but we want the patient to remain in the hospital under observation for two more weeks in order to make sure there's not a relapse. During those two weeks is Rosh Hashanah, And there was no Shofar available in the hospital. Uh, the question was, should we take the patient out of the hospital for Rosh Hashanah against medical advice, uh, let him hear the shofar in the synagogue, and return him to the uh, to the hospital after Rosh Hashanah to complete the two weeks of observation. He's not sick. They're not doing anything in the hospital. They're just observing him. Answer: Since the risk of losing one's health, mental health or physical health, doesn't matter, since the risk of losing one's health is worth more than twenty percent. Of anyone 's uh, net assets, anyone would be happy to pay as much as is necessary in order to be healthy, whether it 's mentally or, or emotionally or physically, since that 's worth so much that anyone would be worth anyone would be happy to pay more any normal any rational person would be happy to pay more than twenty percent of, of his, his or her assets in order not to be schizophrenic. Schizophrenia is a terribly unpleasant condition very unpleasant, Uh, uh, this disease is uh, worth more than than 20% of his assets, and therefore he is exempt from the mitzvah of shofar, and therefore there is no reason to take him out of the hospital, bring him to a synagogue uh, in order to hear the shofar for Rosh Hashanah, he's simply exempt because this is something which is worth more than 20% of his net assets. Okay well, we've seen the approach of the great postkim regarding the approaches of the great postkim regarding head covering for women. We're going to pause at this time and next week we're going to begin to see what the postkim have to say about men covering their hair. And well you will notice right away next week that there's a different melody uh, when speaking when the rabbis are speaking about men as compared with women. But we'll get to that next week when we speak about men covering their heads. Until then, I wish you a good week and eventually a Shabbat Shalom and look forward to seeing you all again a week from tonight. Until then, Shalom Shalom.